Thank you, guys. You guys can have a seat. Hey, Merry Christmas, everyone. How's everyone doing tonight? Yeah, okay. Well, my name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. We've got some mildly excited or not excited people. I don't know what to call it, but hey, we're glad to be together with you this afternoon on Christmas Eve. And I got to be honest, with this task of speaking on Christmas Eve, I kind of feel like there's a little bit of pressure because I've got some competition. As in, like, I'm competing with the fact that you have these gifts under your tree that you're thinking about that you want to open maybe later tonight or tomorrow morning. For some of you, I feel like I'm competing because you've got a prime rib that's ready to go when you get home or some steaks that you're grilling. You're like, okay, I'm th- my mouth is salivating right now. This guy has to get done talking so he can go do that. So for others of you, um, I'm maybe, I feel like I may be competing because this is like your break. Like maybe you're on a break from school. Maybe you're just like, oh, we finally got a break from working. I've got some days off. I just want to chill and relax. Uh, and then for maybe someone like my wife, um, I feel like I got to compete in her mind and her heart because she's like, well, I could either listen to my husband talk or I could be at home watching Hallmark Christmas movies. Which one do I want to do? I'll let you ask her what she would rather do. So um, I, regarding that, I mean, in all seriousness, I, I did spend quite a bit of time praying into this, considering like, okay, this is an interesting time with a lot of stuff going on. And I prayed to God and said, God, could you give me something that would be deeply personal to all the people who are coming in the room? Could you give me uh, something to communicate that would be profound and personal to everyone? Which is Kind of a tall task coming in here, because as Andrew mentioned, we're literally coming from all over the place. Like some of you came in from out of state, and you just got to Nebraska, and you just came in here, and you're new here. Some of you come to church here every week, and you're part of Providence Church. Some of you um, maybe don't go to church, but you live in Omaha. You got brought by some friends, and that's one of the things. On top of that, some of you, uh, you love Christmas. You love the songs. You love the trees. You love the gifts. You love it dominating the radio. You love all of that stuff. You would believe what Andy Williams said, that it is the most wonderful time of the year. And by the way, I'm on your team. We are the right ones. It is the most wonderful time of the year. Now, there's some other people in here who are Scrooges, I would say. You hate it. You hate the music. You're over it. You're like, just get this done and over with. I want to be done. Now, to be real for a second, beyond just the Christmas liking or disliking, um, there are some of you who, who are going through some chaos in life right now. And if you were to look at your life and you were to call a spade a spade, um, you would have to be honest and say, you know what, uh, life just really isn't that good right now. Like, there's some things that I wish would change about my life. And so I prayed into that, and then uh, I feel like all of a sudden it hit me, or maybe better yet, God hit me. That the reason why Jesus in the Christmas story is such good news is because it actually goes beyond our circumstances. And it goes uh, beyond whether you like or dislike Christmas or whether you're from here in Omaha or not in Omaha. He transcends circumstances and he provides hope for me, for you, 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 anyone in the room. He provided hope for people who first read this Matthew story some 2,000 years ago. And he is, Jesus is able to provide hope for people who are going to be walking this earth hundreds of years after we are left and gone. Now, let me explain this a little bit further to get at what I feel like God was communicating to me. Um, Recently, I've been trying to just, uh, I guess, improve some things about life. 
And so there's a list of things I have. There's one thing, I have four kids, and I'm like, man, I just need to be more present with my kids. So I'm going to try to work on that. I want to engage my wife better and be more present with her, have better conversations with her as well. On top of that, I'm like, I want to continue to eat healthy and eat better. And I need to also get in the habit of, of going to the gym again, like I've kind of slacked off on this year. I also want to try to get rid of my addiction to my phone like so many of us have. And the list goes on and on and on. And here's the thing about that. Let's just say in a hy- very hypothetical world that I was able to, to kind of do pretty good in all those things in the next month. That would mean something for me, but at the end of the day, that actually doesn't give hope to you. Like if I were to do all that, that wouldn't give any hope to any of you and vice versa. If all of a sudden you were able to get uh, some sort of raise that you've been waiting for and you were to be able to be blessed financially in that way, that doesn't help my anxiety. That doesn't help me engage better with my kids. My kind of self-improvement plan doesn't help your marriage get any better. It doesn't help your financial state get any better. Hope for just me is too small. And hope for just you is too small. It's too temporal. It's too confined. And what is so unique about Jesus is that he is not an idea or a plan to adhere to, but he is a person, a living being who is alive, and he has come near through the Christmas story, and he offers to walk with us 24-7, 365, and and offer hope, not just through the conundrums and the, the obstacles of life and through the joys of life, but he offers to solve the problem that is at the core of all these symptoms that we feel, this discontentment that kind of strikes us day in and day out. And the Bible would say that we actually all suffer from the same core root problem. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. So as we settle in here for just a few minutes, um, this Christmas story that we're going to go back through in Matthew, um, I know it may not seem as appealing to the prime rib that you're about ready to feast on in just a little bit. Um, But the reality is, is it has so much more to offer. Jesus offers complete hope for all people. He offers complete hope for all people. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And so I want to look back through these verses and we're going to read through them together and kind of talk about this together. So Matthew 1, starting in verse 18, if you have a Bible, you can open it there. We're going to have it up here on the screens. It says, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. Now let me pause here for a second. Before we go any further, um, we know a lot about the Christmas story about shepherds and donkeys and stars and magi and all that wise men. Um, And and Joseph is going to be in this story and he's involved in this story. Um, Mary's going to be involved in this story a bit. But Matthew, the the writer of this, is purposely putting this at the very beginning. He said, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way to tell us this is actually a story about Jesus. All those other things are on the periphery. They're important. But this is about Jesus. So, why should you and I care about a random Jewish baby boy that was born halfway around the world 2,000 years ago? Well, I think if we read the story, it's going to tell us. Let's keep reading. It says, When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, I said she was betrothed to Joseph, which is a fancy ancient word for engaged, except for in those days, engagement was a little bit more serious. It was like a contractual binding thing. Let's go to the next verse. 
It says, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, in those days, uh, since uh, they were under contract, uh, the Jewish law stated that adulterers, because that's what Joseph was probably assuming happened with Mary, how else would she get pregnant if it wasn't from me? It must have been from somebody else. If you committed adultery, um, in Jewish law, you could actually uh, uh, be killed for that under the law. But if you didn't do that, what was more common uh, was that it was an automatic next step that it was a divorce. And so Joseph had to decide how he was going to do that. And there was something personal at stake because if he chose to divorce her like a normal way publicly, he could actually retain uh, the dowry or the money that was coming to him. So there was something in him to gain from that. But it says that he was a just man. He was kind of a a God-fearing man, and so he decided to do it in a private way with a couple of witnesses. Now, you think about this, and you're like, man, Joseph had to be in utter turmoil. Scholars think that Mary was about four months pregnant at this point, and um, your engaged fiancé, wife-to-be comes up to you, and you're like, wait, you're pregnant now. Like, how did that happen? And then you're thinking, okay, what are people going to think about me? Who was the other guy? Why would God allow this? And God works in some interesting ways sometimes. And sometimes he allows us to be in some specific places so we can get a clear front row seat to how he's trying to rescue us. I think some of us might even feel that tonight. And so the next verse, verse 20, this is what it says. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife of that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, the angel just said it here. Matthew said it before. He's saying something that we have learned about Jesus that's a little bit abnormal. Jesus ain't no normal kid. He is not actually just some random baby that was born 2,000 years ago, halfway across the globe. And as a matter of fact, Joseph isn't even his real dad. This is a miracle baby conceived in the womb of a virgin. This is a miracle baby from heaven. And can I tell you something about this? I think this is incredibly encouraging that Jesus was a miracle baby from God, that he was God in the flesh. You know why? Well, I'll tell you, and I think you might be able to relate to this, because um, like I assume many of you, we have a tendency to put our hope in people, in humans. Like when I was a child, I put my faith in Michael Jordan, and I grew up in the 90s. That was a good time to have your faith in Michael Jordan. They won like six championships, but then what happened was uh, Michael Jordan got old, and he stopped dunking, and he was a little overweight, and he played for the Washington Wizards, and they stopped making the playoffs. He was no longer a good person to have your hope in. And then you fast forward to college. When I was in college, I um, had a tendency to put my hope in a couple girls that were there. And there must have been uh, some sort of fad going around because every time I would get close to a girl and then I would have a conversation about actually dating, uh, they would all say no. That wasn't very helpful either. And then when I, um, on a real note, when I had graduated from college in my mid-20s, I started working at a church. And uh, like so many of you, maybe in your field, maybe you're in the tech field, and you kind of have a work, maybe a hero or an entrepreneur that you look to, that you kind of uh, model things after. Uh, There was a specific pastor that I was uh, kind of modeling a lot of things after. He was kind of a hero of sorts. And then a few years later, um, 
He got fired from his job because he manipulated his book sales to get onto the New York Times bestseller list. Pers person found to be domineering and controlling and angry with the people who worked for him. Also, not a good pers person to put your hope in. And on top of that, my most recent person to put a hope in is Scott Frost. Enough said, moment of silence for Nebraska football. Friends, people don't do it. They don't bring hope. They don't bring relief at least not consistently, and that's why it's such good news that Jesus is from heaven because he's no mere human. He is fully God. He is fully man, and he is able to hold up under the weight of that complete hope that he offers. He is someone different than anyone else. Let me tell you why specifically. So I want to put this verse on the screen, uh, or read this verse on the screen that, that, that we have here. It says um, that you shall call his name Jesus. She's telling Joseph, call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from, let me pause there. Now, if you're a, a brave person, or maybe you have a Bible in front of you, I want you to put your hand up, or maybe in your Bible, put your finger over, and cover up the last two words that you see there. Imagine those last two words aren't there for a second. And I want you to, to invite you to get a little bit personal here. So, so consider the possibility that you could write this verse, that Jesus was going to save you from something. If you could fill in those last two words, considering your circumstances, what would be the words that you would fill in the blank for? If Jesus could save you from anything, he would save me from what? Your marriage, your depression and anxiety, Maybe he'd save you from your busyness and your stress. If he could save you from anything, what would you want him to save you from? Save you from hopelessness, loneliness, maybe something that's happened to you in the past that you just really wish would go away that you would never have to think about again. The people that originally were reading this 2,000 years ago um, were an oppressed minority. They were Jewish people living in their own land, but yet they were oppressed by a Roman empire, and they felt the weight of this. And as they were reading this, they would fill this in automatically um, with one thing— because God had promised them a thousand years earlier that one day that there would be a king that would come and he would rule on high and he would be high and mighty. They were hoping for a victory and the people who would be reading this would expect to read this and say, uh, we're gonna call his name Jesus because he's gonna save his people from the Romans because that's what they needed saved from or so they thought. Instead, this says that Jesus will save us from our sins. And the Bible makes a bold but truthful claim in Romans 3.23 that says all of us have sinned. And one could argue that the stress that we feel, the busyness that we feel, the loneliness that we feel, the anxiety that we feel, the discontentment that we feel uh, sometimes on a daily basis, all sorts of these things are actually just surface level symptoms that we experience that actually tie down to a deeper root cause of sin that's in our heart. There's a symptoms, but then there's the real illness, which is sin. Now, hear me saying this. I'm not saying that all your problems are because of 
your sin. They might be because of someone else's sin. They may just be because we live in a world with seven billion sinners walking around and having kind of a selfish bent. As a matter of fact, um, a man named Tim Mackey calls sin like this. He says that sin has led us over and over to act for our own benefit to the expense of others. The result is a chain reaction of relational breakdown, breakdown between us and God, breakdown between us and other people. And God sends Jesus, and he says that of this boy, I want to reverse that sin problem. I want to reverse that selfishness problem that we have. I want to reverse that thing inside all 7 billion people on the earth that makes them live for me, 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 me. And the ironic part about this, the the amazing part about this is that Jesus comes and he lives for you when you couldn't live for you in the right way. And he dies for you when you couldn't do that in a correct way. In other words, Jesus came and he lived perfectly. He died on a Roman cross and paid the penalty for our sins against God. And he lived and he died and he resurrected to new life with his perfect resume. And he says, hey, I know that you have sin. I know that you have selfishness. I'll exchange my resume for yours. If you trust in me, I will give you my perfection. I will fix your problem of sin, but all you have to do is trust in me, and I will take away your sins. Now, can I just tell you one more piece of kind of fascinating historical background from this that pops up in the very next verse? Uh, The very next verse says that Jesus, if you'll go to, actually it's two verses, in verse 23, it says that Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, way back in the day, in the Old Testament, before Jesus' time, God's people, Israel, um, they knew um, something about this phrase, God with us. What it meant was that when they were about ready to go into battle or be attacked or go into a war, uh, there were times when God would specifically speak through a prophet and say, hey, I am with you. And what that meant, what they knew about that is that when God said that he was with them, that they would win no matter what. If you had God on your side, you would be victorious. It was a guarantee that you were going to win. And that's what they would have been understanding at this point. And when this next verse picks up and he says that Jesus is now Emmanuel, what Matthew is trying to tell us is that Jesus is actually a guarantee of victory for us in this life. And it's not a a victory against a pesky bordering nation that existed 2,500 years ago. It is a guaranteed victory over our deepest problem, the problem of sin, the problem that has plagued humans since the first day that they've been in existence, this all-encompassing problem in the human heart. And Jesus says, I have victory over that. And now I can offer you new life. I am with you. That is why Jesus is complete hope for all people. Let's get really practical here for a second. So, like on a daily basis, when you maybe face some of the sin, as we call it, or as the Bible calls it, or maybe some of the consequences or the symptoms of sin in your heart, um, it is true that you could um, kind of work your plan. You know, you could work your plan to kind of meditate and, and work toward some sense of mental and emotional health. 
and you could work toward great gut health and try to be all healthy physically. And that's a great thing. I kind of have my own plan with that too. And you could uh, address maybe some of your greed by trying to, to adopt a minimalism plan. Or, or maybe you just want to drown out the noise and, and you uh, escape kind of into maybe people or you maybe escape into kind of being a workaholic and working a lot. Or, or maybe you just kind of escape to food and drink and fun and friends and social things. You can do all of this to try to, try to drown out the noise. But the reality is, is that you have to wake up every morning and work that plan over and over and over. Just talking about it actually kind of makes me exhausted exhausting as I'm talking about it. But Jesus is not a plan. He's not an inanimate idea out there. Jesus is a person, and Jesus comes in Matthew 11, and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That is his offer. Just a few days ago, I was driving in my truck, on Center Street, and I was feeling like at my wit's end, overwhelmed, stressed, anxious, all of that, all at once. And I was driving, and I'm like, I, I, my only option is just to start praying out loud. And so I started praying out loud. I'm like, these people next to me probably think I'm crazy right now, but I'm just going to keep going anyway. And so I was praying, I'm like, God, I feel so overwhelmed right now. God, I feel like my back is against the wall. God, I can't do anything with this turmoil in my heart. I need help in some way, and this doesn't always happen, but wouldn't you know that within five minutes, I legitimately and and in a real way experienced the calming presence and the perspective of Jesus with me. God is inside his people. He has come to live with us. Friends, when you put your trust in Jesus, God is with you. He walks with you you. He fights on your behalf. He guarantees victory over the punishment from sin, but he, he, he promises to fight for you in the battle against this sin. He wants to come and give you life, and the reality is, unlike our little plans that we pursue, he has been offering complete hope to people for the last 2,000 years, young and old, on every continent, on the face of the earth, and Jesus is a different kind of hope, a complete hope for all people. And 2,000 years ago, Joseph responded to God in obedience. The next two verses, verses 24 and 25, it says this. It said, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph's obedience has paved the way for Jesus to come into this world. And now Jesus has come to us here on this night, Christmas Eve in 2019. Jesus has come to you with this invitation. And the question is, what will you do with this Savior? Could we pray? God, we want Um, to be aware of what you're doing, the fact that you provide more life and more hope than we could imagine, more than anything that we could do on our own. Jesus, uh, we want you to break through this darkness that we've been talking about and bring life, tangible life, real life to us. So I pray if there are people in the room who are wrestling through this for the first time, would um, would you speak 
clearly? Would you comfort them clearly? Would they sense your invitation clearly? And would they walk with you? Jesus, uh, we love you and we want to worship you and reflect on you this Christmas season. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.